up? I'm Tenley. And I'm Brandy. And we are here today with Donna Bryson. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Donna. This is our um, second episode of our second season. Mm-hmm. And um, Veterans Day was not long ago. We're recording here today, what is it, November 17th? This is 2017. And um, Donna has written a book called Home of the Brave focusing on Montrose, a uh, town in western Colorado, and their veteran community. So we're really excited to um, celebrate veterans today, talk to Donna about her book, and um, hopefully brainstorm some ways that any engaged citizen can um, you know, reach out to their community, see what they can do um, to help um, build access, I, I would say. That was one point that came back to mm-hmm. me several times in reading the book was this idea of access. Um, so first, Donna, um, <laughs> it's interesting, when I got to the very end of the book, I learned some very interesting things about you. <laughs> um, the fact that you were in Cairo during 2001, 2002 mm-hmm. as a journalist. Yes. I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about your history and how um, how you ultimately came to writing this book. Oh, sure. Well, I was a foreign correspondent for almost two decades. I worked for the Associated Press in South Africa, and then India, and then Egypt, wow. and then the UK, and then back to South Africa. And I, uh, when I came home to the U.S., you know, I was born and raised mostly in California, born in Florida, but raised in California. Uh-huh. When I came home to the U.S. in 2012, I was really struck by it. You didn't hear people talking about the war. Yeah. <laughs> and certainly, it was my work for a lot of time. I spent six years in the Middle East, and I, as I said, I was in Cairo when, on 911. I was in Cairo watching the towers fall in a newsroom for the AP with the Nile beyond, the, you know, beyond those windows. And uh, so for the most of the time I was in the Middle East, I was covering the impact of the war on terror on the Middle East. Uh-huh. And, but really everywhere I was overseas, people were talking about the war on terror, about America's war on, on, uh, on terrorism, and with questions about what that meant for you know, the, the limits on American power, the willingness of the American people to use that power, just that was part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I get back to the States and it's not part of the conversation. I felt as if people, a lot of people didn't know there was a war <laughs> in some instances. And I was very curious about that. Yeah. And, and maybe that's what drew me to the story, mm-hmm. which I originally did as a news story for Stars and Stripes. I had seen an article in the Denver Post about uh, Tim Kinney, who you mm-hmm. may have read about in the book. It was really more a profile of Tim and his war. Mm-hmm. But it did mention Welcome Home Montrose, and I thought, well, people must be talking about the war in Montrose. <laughs> if there is such an organization there. And I went out and did a story about, it was at, the, at that time kind of the beginnings of Welcome Home Montrose, which uh-huh. is now the Welcome Home Alliance for Vets. Oh, it's changed names. It's changed names. Okay. And the name now kind of reflects, you know, they have ambitions of being national, or at least encouraging people to try places other than Montrose. Uh-huh. But at the time, it was Welcome Home Montrose, and um, I got to go and really get a sense of how it began mm-hmm. and what it was up to then. <laughs> you know, it's, at that time, it still had, still had plans for the, uh, the water park mm-hmm. that wasn't a reality then. 
did that story, did a lot of reporting for that story, talked to a lot of people for that story, and uh, had a lot left in my lip, in my notebook. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think that's how I, um, at, at some point, I had given the uh, editor at Stars and Stripes who had commissioned that first story know that I'd written a book, and I, and she said that the first time someone told me that I cut so much out of their work that they, they had <laughs> you, made, you made an entire but book she, out But she of took edits. it well. <laughs> And it certainly didn't end with that, the reporting trip I did for that newspaper article. I went back and back over the years to, uh, to keep track of what was happening and to get to know people better and get to know the town better. Yeah, you researched this book for something like four years? Yeah, or? four years of traveling from Denver, uh-huh. six hours. Yeah. <laughs> I think some people do it a little faster. But <laughs> You're more liable law-abiding uh, than, yeah, than they are. More law-abiding than they are, exactly. Yeah. And telephone calls, other interviews outside of Montrose, too, because what I was also trying to look at is, is just kind of the enormity of what the small town was taking on, so trying to understand more about... Uh, PTSD, trying to understand more about uh, the economy in rural America. All of these things are kind of play a part in the book as well. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the, the enormity of what they're taking mm-hmm. on because that's really clearly communicated in the book mm-hmm. that um, Welcome, Home, Welcome Home Montrose um, took a very multifaceted, multi-layered approach, very non-competitive approach mm-hmm. in terms of how can we loop in the VA mm-hmm. and um, what people are already doing in the town and how can we really build on that? Yeah, certainly the the people at the core of this project seem to understand that they don't know everything. Yeah. <laughs> and but we're quite willing to find out what they didn't know. Uh-huh. I've heard I ask a question if I'm sitting in the Welcome Home Montrose office, you know, how do you deal with so and so? And I say, well, we may not know, but we can find out and we know who to turn to. And a lot of people they can turn to are right there in town. I think uh, when you live in a small town you may be more likely to be engaged because you know you're needed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people, people know what you're capable of, and they're very likely to ask you. I met so many people in Montrose who do two or three different things. You know, yes. They do their job. They do their more than one volunteer thing. Uh, when you live in a city, you may not always feel that you're needed. Mm. And I don't think it's true. I think you're probably needed in the city as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's no reason people in yes. the city can't do two or three things themselves. Exactly. But, yeah, if, if it, I, there is that issue of, reaching out and asking someone to mm-hmm. do yeah. it, inviting them. And I yeah. think you know in a small community, you know what everyone, what their skill sets are. Mm-hmm. And you can really tap into that. And when you're in a bigger city, you're just, you are so disconnected. It is dense, but you're not, you're not as connected unless you kind of build that little community within your big city. So I think there's... And I hope that you know, readers in larger towns can actually take a lesson from what's happening in Montrose. How do, how, how do we know what our neighbors are capable of? We have to ask them. Yeah. <laughs> we have to, um, in, in a way, what they, I think what the, the core of what they did in Montrose is create a place where people knew they could come if they had an idea and knew that their idea would be listened to. And if you came with an idea and you came with uh, a willingness to make it work, you know, if you bring, some <laughs> bring something in addition to the idea, they're going to support you. And... It, maybe it's just that sense of it's the welcome, <laughs> welcome home Montrose. Yeah. They're welcome, welcoming ideas, welcoming uh, even uh, counter ideas. There's not not a lot of fear of being challenged. Maybe there is, but <laughs> people, <laughs> people overcome. <laughs> people overcome. <laughs> yeah. And and they and they 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 want. I think they understand that everybody wants progress. Everybody wants. I think in the beginning, they everybody wants vets to to get better. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. But in the end, it became everyone wants our town to get better. And, and we began to understand, I think people in Montrose began to understand that the vets that maybe they thought in the beginning need our help, they just had so much to offer. You yeah. know, they ended up, there was this synergy coming on. The vets helped Montrose, Montrose helped the vets. And can that happen in other places? And it is happening in other places. I think another point of the book is that there are lots of community organizations who are interested in, in working with vets, helping vets, supporting vets. I think maybe even say uh, taking advantage of vets because <laughs> you want yeah. to take advantage of their energy in a good way. Yeah. And they don't necessarily know about each other. And they might be able to learn from each other if they knew about one another. Yeah. Yeah, that, you touched on a couple themes in the book in terms of um, uh, vets really, this idea of peer support and veterans helping veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of veterans felt more comfortable at the VA than in just um, other, other mm-hmm. medical settings, yes. you know, because they, at least they thought that, or, you know, they, they may be treated by somebody who's also a vet mm-hmm. and understands and comes from whether, whether real or perceived, the judgment, you know, they could identify and, and talk to one another with mm-hmm. this common ground of like, well, we're, we're all vets, we're all you know, we all have this common commonality. A common experience. Uh, yeah. Common vulnerabilities, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, but there is an understanding. But it doesn't mean that uh, people who've never served in that particular way can't work with vets. And I think one of the things I discovered writing the book is that there are vets everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> they don't always want to talk about their service. They don't think that any, they don't always think that people are interested. But, you know, when I finished the book, one of the things that occurred to me is I'd never spoken to my own father about his service. Oh. And my dad, who lives in California, we talk regularly, we talk once a week, and I did make a point after finishing the book and thinking about this, yeah. <laughs> saying, you know, at one phone call, saying, next week, can we talk about your service? And it just turned out to be a really fascinating conversation. My, my father didn't go into combat. Uh-huh. He served kind of between Korea and Vietnam. Okay. Uh, he was a, a black man from the South yeah. who... It was actually very smart. <laughs> my father finished high school at 14, finished, uh, he had a, a bachelor's in zoology at 18, and couldn't get a job. He was a black man in the South, and he couldn't get a job yeah. that, even as at one point described to me, he went to Atlanta and, and wanted to get a job driving the garbage trucks, and they told him that's for white men. And wow. in wow. the end, the service offered him an opportunity. You know, the, the service was among the first institutions in the U.S. to be integrated. Mm. And my father recognized that there was opportunity there and that he could be treated <laughs> as someone with something to offer mm-hmm. in the service. And he also, for him, fascinating to be, to be in the same group with whites and blacks from all over the, all over the United States. Mm-hmm. And that's something else that he feels the service gave him, this opportunity to see America, see himself as an American. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. and, uh, and, you know, that conversation... I might not have had if I hadn't written this book, but I think so many of us could have those com- kinds of conversations with the vets in our lives. We we just have never asked. <laughs> yeah, you don't know the vets in your lives you, if it, it hasn't come up. This yeah. is true, too. You might not know that they've served. And, and, uh, and you might not understand just the breadth of what service can mean. It doesn't always mean going to war. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it, it does mean serving your country as an equal. And that's kind of the lesson I drew from my father's story that I might not have thought to ask if I hadn't done this book. 
Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. So how far into the book were you before you... I finished. <laughs> you finished? <laughs> Actually, had finished writing, had, had gone through edits with my, with my publisher, and, and uh, was really thinking about, you know, what's next. And, well, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, that, that kind of brings to mind another theme that um, came to mind throughout the book. And of course, it just flew out of my head. But oh yeah, well, so this this idea of um, you know, in the in your father's case, mm-hmm. it sounds like he he really was looking for opportunity, mm-hmm. and this was one of the few opportunities available mm-hmm. to him. A lot of the vets that you highlight in the book have a hard time verbalizing mm-hmm. why they enlisted. They were mm-hmm. they were driven to by this sense of service. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, when you were talking about how vets still have so much to give mm-hmm. to their communities, mm-hmm. it's that still sense of service that they have, um, or, you know, the ones that you featured in your book, come home and still, um, you know, are, are really striving to mm-hmm. serve and to have a purpose and to help other people. Um, and that... You know, now that I've read the book, it's obvious. I don't think it would have been obvious to me before reading the book that this service can be take so many different forms, mm-hmm. even in the course of one person. One person's life, exactly. Yeah. And I think about you know, one of the vets who ended up having to leave the service because of uh, had had a stroke because of illness and felt an injury. And he said to me once, you know, if someone came to my door now and said, "Suit up," I would. Yeah. <laughs> and as if you know, he's missing that that's being asked being called upon being called upon and they and then when you see people in in other other modes of life you know someone who's who's working with big brothers big sisters you might talk to them and discover they serve uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, someone who is working in an hr mm-hmm. there's 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 just this impulse and for some people it seems like a uh, and they can't unstoppable and yeah, urge. almost compulsive almost, like. almost, <laughs> almost compulsive yeah. and and they seem to be always looking for ways to do that in their lives but there's also i think an, an issue in small town america that again the same thing we talked about my father finding opportunity there are there are economic reasons to join too yes. you might find you might find other ways to to make a living and maybe it is a particular person who thinks that the military is going to be that way but it is a way out mm-hmm. it is a way to get training you know i spoke to uh, you know, Cleo Elliott, who's the World War II vet I interviewed in the oh, book, yeah. his, his grandson was killed in Iraq, but his grandson wanted to be a doctor. Oh. And he saw getting into the military as a way to, to get the kind of training and get money for school. And that's not unusual either, but it doesn't mean that there isn't <laughs> there aren't higher reasons as well within the same person. Yeah, or family tradition, yeah. or you yeah. know, all kinds of different... And different family tradition, it's a tradition of, of service being modeled uh-huh. I think within families, your your father served, your grandfather served, your mother served, your aunt served, and, and it it becomes. I don't think it's just the military that's a tradition. It's it's the the sense of service or the sense of duty that's a tradition in, in a lot of families. I'm yeah, sure. that was one of the highlights I remember mm-hmm. making in the book of, you know. Uh, a veteran served because he saw service represented in both of his parents mm-hmm. in totally different compa- capacities, but they were both, you know, very service-minded. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think the book is such a great match for us at Civic Syrup mm-hmm. because our whole point is civic engagement, mm-hmm. and in the in the broadest possible terms, you know, yes, yes, vote. 
but also yes reach out to your community and you know find out what your community needs ask people to you know serve in the ways that they can and to serve um, yourself so like earlier you said uh, how welcome home Montrose was a place where people could bring ideas we want to be that so if any <laughs> listeners out there <laughs> if you have ideas for us please let us know we um, you know no idea is mm-hmm. off limits when it comes to helping each other as mm-hmm. Americans small town big town no town you know yeah. absolutely so um, another thing I wanted to touch on, there were several um, topics that seemed to just weave through the whole book, and I wanted to just go through some of them and get your reaction. Um, so these are just items that came back sort of, not necessarily every chapter, mm-hmm. but chapter after chapter mm-hmm. throughout the book. Guilt, alcohol, mm-hmm. heroism, action, compassion, inclusion, adventure, purpose, service, advocacy, anger, mental illness paired with mental health, suicide, and access. Interesting that you started with guilt. I hadn't thought about that as being something that runs through the book, but I do understand it when you say so. Whether survivor's guilt, which I think a lot of the vets have, you know, I talked earlier about this the war not being a conversation in the States. And I think there might be some guilt among civilians about not participating, not and not knowing how to acknowledge even yeah. what's happening. Mm-hmm. I think it, it, it is an interesting word. Yeah. <laughs> and I suppose it has a lot more to do with the book than I than I realized until you brought that up. Well, and I do think, like you said, it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's not like it came back in one form, but it was, as you said, you know, sort of the survival guilt and, and some of the veterans having their own misgivings about the reasons that they went to war, mm-hmm. but still feeling proud to serve and how, you know, those feelings can coexist. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one person talking about PTSD mm-hmm. and admitting, uh, I don't know if admitting is the right word, but saying, you know, this isn't a part of myself that I'm super proud of, you know? Yes. Don't I'm wanna, not, we don't always want to be like this. I don't, that's <laughs> yeah, the yes, word. Yes, Thank yes, you for yes. giving me the exact verbiage. Mm-hmm. I don't always want to be like this. And mm-hmm. I just thought, you know, uh, that's, it, it, was, it was poignant mm-hmm. to me to recognize that. Well, I think certainly the, what I think thinking about a lot when working on the book is history and how we, how we confront history, how we move on from history and when you talk about history you often talk about guilt (laughs) you talk about uh, things that went wrong things we did wrong uh, that we maybe want to bury Mm -hmm. and guilt is guilt is the reminder yeah (laughs) and maybe guilt guilt keeps us humble perhaps yeah i mean or the the first chapter in the book really delves into the history colorado's history in terms of pioneers and Mm -hmm. the decimation really of the Ute Indian population Um, I did find some of the history about homesteading to be really fascinating (laughs) in terms of the Homestead Act being an equalizer in terms of women could have land people of color could have land this um, I found all that really fascinating and I guess that's another theme that recurs in the book that we that we as Americans have ideals we set high standards 
and we often fall short. short. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, it's, and it's hard to acknowledge when, when you fall short. Yeah, yeah. And, you yeah. Know, and maybe there's some guilt mm-hmm. that goes along with that, but mm-hmm. doesn't mean we shouldn't keep striving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or as you know, as Melanie Klein, who started Welcome Home Montrose, I feel like she says this often. She may not feel she says it as often as I as I hear it. But just because there's a possibility of failure doesn't mean you can't. Doesn't mean you don't try. Yeah. yeah. And just because uh, we may have failed in the past <laughs> doesn't yeah. mean we can't try again. Yeah. And one of the I think one of the reasons why history was of interest to me in, in working on this book. I, my previous book was about South Africa, where I had lived and worked for six years total. Seven, <laughs> but but its history was new to me, and so in writing a book about South Africa, I really had to learn the history. And writing a book about the United States, I also discovered I had to learn the history. There's not I don't know everything. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, None of us do. and some of the some of the, the stories that we cherish in our history just aren't true. Oh. Yeah, and, and, and uh, I think it's it's an important thing to keep in mind yeah. <laughs> when I talk. Can you say more about that? Well, I, I think about the West. The history of the West is kind of a, a history of of uh, triumph, yeah, pioneering, a, a pioneering, yeah. pioneering spirit. And I think we also think of it as, as a white history. Mm-hmm. You know, we often, and it's not. You know, it is a it's a multicultural history. Yeah. A, uh, so many threads running through it. Even even when you get out to these parts of the country that we think of being as uninhabited. You know, I mean, that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> we are. Uh, and I suppose that's something that was interesting for me to confront as I worked on this book. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think every region, you know, it's it's hard to put a um, a story, like a blanket story, mm-hmm. on an entire country or an entire state. And yes. I think every region has its own real history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And multiplicities of history. Yeah. Yes, and mm-hmm. digging deep to find that mm-hmm. um, is not always easy. I think you um, spent probably a lot of time in the library <laughs> in Montrose and, and interviewing. Interviewing people. There's a, a small library in Montrose, which, which, which I think is kind of a gym-like reading room with, with everything, every local history stuff, everything from yearbooks from the high school to, to more scholarly histories of the town. And at one point, I had read, read the paper. Whenever I was in Montrose, I'd read the paper. <laughs> and, was there one week when there was a feature in the paper about a, about a family that had been in town forever having a reunion, and they quoted from the first pioneer in Montrose and this family quoted from his book, which was available it hadn't really been published officially, but you could find it in the reading room of the library. So I went went from the newspaper to to finding this book in the reading room of the library and reading through it and discovering that he talks about the history of the Klan in Colorado, which is something I had known about. You know, I had read, there, there have been other books about the Klan written from a statewide perspective, but this was his own experience of watching Klansmen sweep into a church. And, and he hinted also in, about perhaps a, a colored man named Colored Bob being attacked or somehow threatened by the Klan in, in Montrose. And even though, as I said, it's a history. I knew about the history of the Klan in Colorado. I wasn't expecting it when I sat yeah. down to read this, and I was really kind of taken aback and, and stopped, stopped that day. And I went on to do other things, but I really did know I had to come back and finish reading what he had to say about this and think about why he thought it was important to include in, in, his, 
if I'm going to tell the story, I'm thinking from his perspective, I'm going to tell the story of my family and my town. I'm going to tell it all. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't, we aren't always willing to do that. Uh huh. Yeah. And even the newspaper article that it quoted from this book hadn't mentioned that. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. definitely. And I I learned something. um, I, I wrote in my notes that only parts of Colorado were included in the North's limitation of slavery before the before the Civil War. I, mm-hmm. I did not know that. You know, I'm a Colorado native, and I've always thought of Colorado as, I don't, I don't know. As, as the West. As yeah. the West, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And it's in a mm-hmm. safe haven, a safe state, like just a, a welcoming yeah. place yeah. for and everyone. It, and it hasn't always been welcoming for everyone. And it's, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Um, another thread and, and another thing that I wrote down, um, I came across a quote, when you don't understand something, you make things up. Yeah. And I thought that was just such an insightful quote about um, everything from mental illness mm-hmm. to what it means to serve in the military to, you know, our history mm-hmm. um, that, you know, if you don't really understand something... You kind of fill in the gaps. You try to fill in the blanks, and frequently it's maybe rosier or not, mm-hmm. just inaccurate. And or... I think in, in this case, the context was mental illness. And I think uh-huh. when we make things up about mental illness, we tend to make them worse. Yeah, because <laughs> oh, we're because we're fearful. Yeah, and the you know people in Montrose and I think anywhere in the states when they hear when they think about someone coming back from war, they assume. That this person's going to be dangerous. Uh huh. They've been trained to fight. They've been trained to use weapons, and they're going to be a danger to our society. And whereas, as I said earlier, you need to talk to a vet. Yeah. <laughs> and I think what they've been trained to do is to be careful. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they might have more understanding of that than than the civilians of of what the consequences of not being careful are. Well, and and also the. Um, one thing that came across really clearly in the book is that the, the dangers are soft, are frequently directed at the self mm-hmm. rather than outward at the community. Yeah. And, and that really fits with the, with the service mm-hmm. puzzle piece, right? Yeah. It's like these veterans um, would, would sooner do harm to themselves mm-hmm. than to harm anyone in their mm-hmm. community. Exactly. And the veterans who are, who are willing to address, you know, the, the mental wounds that they've suffered. Yeah. And there's so many of us in, who've never been in the military who have <laughs> mental illnesses sure. who, who aren't willing to confront or seek help. Yeah. And the, uh, maybe seeking help as a way of serving for some of these guys. Mm-hmm. But it makes me think you know, we all need to be more self-aware, uh, more willing to seek help when we need it, yeah. and, uh, and maybe as a society more willing to make sure there is help. You know, not just it's not just the VA that has problems. Oh, <laughs> it's not just the, the VA that has staffing shortages, particularly when we talk about uh, therapists. Yeah, across even in, there's waiting lists to get to see a therapist, and even on the front range. But when we're talking about the Western Slope, it's right. It's ridiculous. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it can be waiting lists even if you're paying full price out of pocket. Yeah. Uh, much less, you know, trying to go through. Medicaid or you know other other services, yeah. um, it can just be another barrier. For our listeners, if you're interested in learning more about mental health, one of our previous podcasts was with Aubrey Boggs of the Mental Health Wellness Network, mm-hmm. um, which is a great organization, and again does this uh, sort of peer to peer support. 
um, which can be just really valuable mm -hmm. knowing that the person um, that you're talking to has some firsthand experience. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, just wanted to mention that. Yeah, no, that was a great podcast and gave a lot of valuable resources for uh, for listeners to get involved and even just um, attend a workshop to just find out more about resources that are available and different levels of mental health. I think we try to put it all in one box and that's just not the it's case. It's all good or all bad. Or yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's no, there. you know, we don't separate the, the individual, um, you know, mental health problems or or just complexities of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think even just going back for a lot of people that are listening to this podcast, if you even just giving them like a high level overview of what Montrose has done, mm -hmm. um, you know, of course, get the book to, to read. Um, it's coming out in January, yes. January 26th is the book release. Yeah, so you're going to want to get the book, but Donna's going to give you just a, a brief overview of, of the program mm -hmm. that Montrose has put into place. As I, as I said earlier, I think the core of it is the drop-in center, which is simply a place where you can come as a vet, get a cup of coffee if that's all you want, and talk to other vets. But you can also look at the job board. You can also look at the housing board <laughs> if you're looking yeah. for a place to live. If you are an a entrepreneur in town who has jobs to offer, this is where you can go. If you are a, uh, a uh, charitable person who has clothes or a boat, <laughs> Melanie got a lot of boats, <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can drop by and make a donation. But it also means that it's a place where people are having conversations about what needs to be done. And, and those conversations have grown into all kinds of things in Montrose. They have a biannual outdoors festival, which started out as, you know, a Mission No Barriers, they call it, and the idea is that wounded vets and able-bodied vets need need a chance to just get out and get out into on the river, get out hiking, get out hunting, get out fishing, and the whole town comes together to make this work. You know, everybody everybody in Montrose is a host in some ways, whether it's helping make breakfast or helping make lunch or carting equipment around or carting people around. When Mission No Barriers is in town, it's kind of all hands in, which is you know. An enormous thing for a small town to do. You really do have to yeah. have everybody involved if you're going to do something like this. And I think originally they thought they could do it annually, but it's a big ask, <laughs> so they do it biannually. Mm -hmm. The um, and then it kind of growing out of this, this idea that that spending time outdoors can be healing. Montrose city and county had been talking for years before Welcome on Montrose started about turning their stretch of the of the river that runs through town. I'm not going to attempt <laughs> Uncompagre River yeah. into a, a river park. And when a couple of vets who were in town for Welcome on Montrose kind of heard about this, they went to the powers that be and says, why don't we make it a, an accessible water park? Mm. Uh, anybody with a handicap, for, in, for whatever reason, let's make it a park that everyone can enjoy. And I, I think maybe you just can't say no to a vet, or maybe you just can't say no to a good idea. <laughs> but, but within months, what had been kind of had going been going nowhere had a plan, and soon they had contractors, and soon the park opened. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's going to draw tourists to Montrose. You know, it's, it's as I say, the vets they thought they were going to help the vets. The vets helped the town, yeah. <laughs> and, and and that water park is permanent. Whatever else happens with. Uh, you know, maybe there might be some year where they just can't get together a mission no varies, but there's always going to be a water park and it's always going to be something that 
Welcome Home Montrose brought to Montrose. Yeah, and serve not only the town, but I would say society universally, mm-hmm. right? Anytime you take that that step of saying, you know what, we're going to make this feature accessible mm-hmm. to everyone. And then I loved in the book, too, how that carried over to the city and county making a commitment to make playgrounds accessible. Mm -hmm. It just got people thinking in ways they hadn't been thinking before, which is what conversation does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what would be your advice to people who, who, you know, are inspired to do something in their own town, Mm -hmm. whether it's here in Colorado or anywhere around the nation? You know, I felt like in reading the book, it seemed like, um, Melanie Klein did a really good job of looking at strengths and weaknesses within the town mm-hmm. and turning those into great opportunities. And mm-hmm. I think that's a real talent, a real skill. Like, mm-hmm. Do you have anything to add, like advice to people about how to look for those things? And it, it does remind me of one of the one of the themes, I suppose, of the book is leadership and the different ways <laughs> different ways people lead. I think Melanie's strategy is really to to be as open as possible, to make everyone feel like they they can be listened to, that everyone understand that they have something to contribute, and that really is the first step. The first step is is talking to your neighbors. You have an idea. How can I build upon it with help from others? Mm-hmm. Can I be open to criticism? Yeah. <laughs> can I can I be open to uh, to failure? Yeah. And to picking myself back up and moving on. That's that's. That's leadership, mm-hmm. as opposed to to be willing to listen as as well as to talk, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, that, and that's what I saw in not just Melanie but so many people in town, and and I do believe that it's existed in every community. Yeah, you just have to to listen for. It. Mm-hmm. And has their um, has their program attracted veterans to make Montrose their home? It has, interestingly, <laughs> the yeah. the uh, number of people. Uh, have come through Montrose and and shown up at the uh, the drop-in center and stayed, and and become volunteers for for Welcome Home Montrose, Welcome Home Alliance for Vets. Now, um, a lot of them are Vietnam era vets, which I found very oh, wow. interesting. Yeah, the, uh, I think in the beginning some of the Vietnam era vets were a little bit suspicious. You know, it's, there's this woman. <laughs> what <laughs> is, does she want? Is, this, is she actually <laughs> is she actually going to help? And uh, and. I think their suspicion turned to, well, she wants me to help, and I said, and that I can do. There's, there's this, this, there's need to serve, mm-hmm. and I think if you, if you come into the drop-in center now, you're very likely to find a Vietnam vet at the front desk to, to welcome you uh-huh. and to try to understand what you might be might be willing to do. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Great. Yeah, I was um, also just thinking about, um, you know, how. Like the the vets had a difficult time even identifying what it is that they um, that attracted them to serve, mm-hmm. and I think just anybody has a hard time identifying mm-hmm. what attracts them to whatever career path or wh- whatever whatever path they take in life, mm-hmm. and I think we all make assumptions about what those people might need, yeah. and um, I think it's great to like just even start that conversation. And to, to really, you know, dig deep and figure out, like, what would make this program work? Like, what is it that um, attracts vets first mm-hmm. to, to serve, and how can we support that? And maybe it seems obvious, but 
asking the vets. Yeah. <laughs> and, maybe, and maybe that's not obvious. Maybe we don't do that enough. We feel like we read about it. We feel like we know. But yeah, that's yes. the nail on the head, yeah. how important it is to ask, what, what do you actually need? Mm-hmm. Instead yeah. of, here, I think I know what you need. Let me just, you know, and it's interesting. I do feel there's a, some part of American culture, like our independence and stuff, can make it mm. hard to talk about needs and help. And mm-hmm. I wonder if that's kind of what stifles that question, you know, of saying, saying what 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 do you need you know and where you, you don't you don't want to look like you are ignorant yeah <laughs> but just, or that something you just have to admit to that, yeah. that ignorant, or yes. that it's coming from a place of pity mm-hmm. but more from a general sense that you know maybe we should ask people not only what they need but what what can they offer mm-hmm. as well yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah I mean I think that's a that's a, a good point to bring up just in general um, yeah. you know we I think we always think we know what another person wants and mm-hmm. just start asking connecting yeah. and also I think the, it's important I think we all we all want to feel like we can start a book and finish a book <laughs> but but we're talking about people here and sometimes we have to keep saying the same things over and over again sometimes people aren't ready for the help that they need when we're when we think we're ready to give it and are we going to be patient enough to keep offering you know when and uh, just not feel like we can okay we've checked off that box we fixed that problem let's move on to another problem yeah you know, it's, it's going to be evolving and there's going to be you know setbacks that was another mm. thing that really impressed me about um welcome home montrose now called what what is the name again? the welcome home alliance for veterans welcome home alliance for veterans is that it it is so dynamic Mm -hmm. and you know certain initiatives would kind of get off the ground and then if it seemed like they weren't serving a purpose they would you know direct away from it and start Mm -hmm. up something new and some things really took off and other things didn't and I just I just was really impressed by that flexibility Mm -hmm. I think that you were talking about leadership and how a lot of it is listening and also being willing to, to fail mm-hmm. and pick yourself back up mm-hmm. again, you know, that that definitely happened. And you outlined mm-hmm. some of that in, in you know, um, initiatives that were tried. And it seems like um, the people in charge just kind of said, okay, yeah, we're going to let that go now and go on to the next. And uh, maybe come back to it. And maybe come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, never yeah. a permanence, but just this dynamic sort of... Um, adaptability mm-hmm. to to what was going on in the community. I thought that was really cool. And I do think that it makes it... it Welcome Home Montrose, Welcome Home Alliance for Vets would like to see more such projects around. Mm-hmm. But it, it can be hard to describe. Yeah. <laughs> and it can be hard to explain what made it work. And I think some other communities find that intimidating. They might want to take a little bit of it or you know, one idea. And maybe that's fine, too. Mm-hmm. You take it to your community, take one seed to your community and who knows what's going to grow out of it mm-hmm. but but the the basics that uh you have to listen <laughs> and you have to be willing to try again if it doesn't work out exactly as you thought it was going to be maybe that's the model mm-hmm. maybe that's mm-hmm. the, the beginning and the end of that model mm-hmm. yeah and i think we know you had mentioned before um all these different communities that are maybe trying their hand mm-hmm. at similar initiatives who how do we connect those how do we how do we bring those people together to um share lessons learned and i hope this is one way yeah (laughs) i hope the book is one way that people will look at the book and and they don't have to call montrose when they read the book but they might think well you know there's someone in my town who's doing something similar to this maybe i need to go explore further what their thinking is um 
and maybe they do want to call Montrose or some mm-hmm. of the other groups that I mentioned in the book and, and, and just talk a little bit. Mm-hmm. And Melanie has done that. Melanie and others involved with Welcome Montrose have traveled around Colorado. They've talked to people outside Colorado and they've taken ideas from others. You know, there is a little network growing, yeah. but the more that we can discuss it, I think the, the stronger those, those ties are going to be and the bigger the network can be. And I do think that's important. Sometimes if you feel like you're alone, <laughs> it can make the failures harder to take. <laughs> but maybe if you have uh, someone who's been through it, that you can bounce ideas off and, and even get you to try again. Maybe mm-hmm. that's important too. Yeah, a support for the leaders of similar programs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Very cool. Well, um, before we wrap up, so again, we're talking to Donna Bryson today, author of Home of the Brave. It's out January 26th. How can how can people get this book, Donna? It's available for pre-order on Amazon already. Um, the publisher is Kronos, and if you want to support your local independent bookstore, you can certainly go ask them to order it for you. And uh, I do hope that people will read it and be inspired as I was. Absolutely. I was inspired reading it and um, just thrilled to speak with you today. Is there is there any other parting words that you have for our listeners? Not at all. All right. Happy right. Post-Veterans Day. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll make sure and post all the links to the book, to the pre-order, and also to the publisher. And... Um, and, and look for that pre-order now so that you can have it in your maybe an Amazon drone will drop it on your doorstep <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll have all those links on civicsyrup.com um, you, if you want to check out Civic Syrup we're on Facebook and Twitter and things like that um, you know all the goodies so until next podcast thanks so much for listening thank you guys and thank yeah. you to the Civic Syrup audience thank yeah. you Donna for being here thank you Donna Bye.